So let's pray together. O God, source of all light, by your word, you give light to the soul. Pour out upon us the spirit of wisdom and understanding that being taught by you in the Holy Scripture, our hearts and minds may be open to know the things that pertain to life and holiness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So today is Palm Sunday, a day in which our church would have traditionally waved palm leaves, remembering the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And of course, we celebrate knowing that this is the beginning of Holy Week or Passion Week. And this is the week where Jesus Christ would undergo a horrific torture that would lead up to the cross. And as we have seen in Matthew, it was something that Jesus had been prophesying long before the events that we've read or we will read today that are taking place now. And so you may have wondered what it would look like if the most beautiful person in the world appeared. And with today's passage, you need not look further. And so please turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. And we're going to read verse 27 to verse 44. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel, let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last week, we looked at a passage where Pilate was before Jesus. Pilate knew with invariable certainty that Jesus Christ was innocent. Multiple times, he would bring him out before the people to declare Jesus' innocence, 
only for the Jewish leaders and the people to shout him down, crucify him. In the verses before, we've read that Pilate scourged Jesus, delivering him to be crucified. Now that scourging that would have taken place, that would have been an incredible thing. But I want you to notice how the Gospels do not focus on the details of the scourging. In fact, Matthew doesn't even focus much on the details of what happens exactly on the cross. And we have to wonder why. Because the usual image that we have been taught about the crucifixion is the image of his physical suffering. Jesus suspended on the cross, looking up at the sky, blood flowing down from his head to his body and toes. But what is truly amazing is that as powerful as that image is, and that is an incredibly powerful image, we don't see that as the main focus of the gospel writers. We see that if you add to the horrors of the crucifixion, the scourging and the flogging, what Jesus endured is one of the most horrific forms of torture. But the scourging is just one blip in the verse before this passage. The scourging that Jesus would have endured is a flogging or whipping that would have been made from lashes with bits of bone, stone, and metal attached to them. The Roman soldiers would have either stretched out Jesus' body, his arms and legs stretched out to opposite ends, or they would have suspended him from the sky or the ceiling, and this is how they would whip him. Both ways, his back would have been exposed and the scourging would have torn away at his flesh, his back, his sides, and even the front of his body. Because of how the whip was constructed, not only would his flesh would have been torn away, but many times it would have torn away so much that his organs would have been exposed. This is the scourging that we see that the Roman soldiers would do. And this is the blip. But that's not the focus. We see here what the gospel writer is focusing on. Then Pilate's soldiers would take Jesus into the governor's headquarters, which was inside Herod's palace, and a whole battalion, which was the word Speyron, Speyron would meet them. Then. A battalion of Speyron is a tenth of a legion. And that meant there would have been 600 soldiers because a legion is 6,000 soldiers. You don't need 600 soldiers to guard Jesus, especially after he's been scourged. He's a bloody pulp, probably already unrecognizable from a distance. Why were 600 soldiers necessary? And so we see that they would strip Jesus and put on a scarlet robe. Scarlet was the color of the mantle or cloak that distinguished Rome or Roman soldiers. And I love how Mark and John, if you read that account, 
they would say it was a purple robe. You know, these little, little things that people would think as discrepancies aren't really discrepancies if you think about it. When you wear something out in the sun for a long time, it starts to change shades of color. I remember it was here in this church, I would wear my black suit and someone would come up to me after service and would say, Puge, your suit, your pants and your jacket, they don't match. They're different colors. But I assured this person that it was the same suit. What had happened was I wore the jacket more often than I wore the pants. And I would hang the jacket in my car, and so the sun would beat down on it. So the actual jacket turned a lighter shade, and it eventually didn't match with my suit pants anymore. So I got a new black suit. But a scarlet mantle that would have been worn and used would have been lighter in shade after a while. It would have changed colors as it got dirtied. It was this kind of mantle they put on Jesus. And the soldiers, in addition to that, they would twist together a crown of thorns, which would have comprised of thorns at least one and a half inches to even six inches long, and they would put it on Jesus' head. And they would take turns kneeling before Jesus saying, Hail, King of the Jews. This was a mockery of Jesus. They mocked him by treating him like a fool or an idiot. They treated him like a village idiot. The Romans hated the Jews and the Jews likewise hated the Romans and it manifested in their treatment to Jesus. They mockingly dressed him up as Caesar For Caesar would have worn a royal robe or a royal Roman robe and a mantle or a crown and a crown that was a laurel wreath. And if you watched old Roman movies, you you know that the Caesar would wear these laurel wreaths because it signified victory. These are, uh, that's the wreath made out of leaves. They mocked Jesus by putting something similar but it was a crown of thorns. Not only that, they put a reed in his hand that would have symbolized a scepter that Caesar would have held. The word for reed is calamon, which could have been a thick reed or something that was thick enough that you could use as a cane. It's with this reed that they would beat Jesus on the head while spitting on him. In case you thought only the Romans were being this brutal, they took their cues earlier from the Jewish leaders who would cover his head, beat him in the face, spit on him, while screaming, prophesy, who hit you? To them, this was a comedy because Jesus is a joke. And some of us may think, this is a little too much. You know, this is way too far. And I've seen depictions of when Jesus was flogged and he was scourged and Roman soldiers like sympathizing. This is not what happened. Philo also records Roman soldiers doing something similar to a man named Carabas. And he was described as a lunatic. But not the dangerous or violent kind. He was what they, uh, how he was described as a harmless fool or the village idiot. And they did exactly the same to him. But they take it many steps beyond that with Jesus. 
in John 19, Pilate would then bring out Jesus to the crowd and say the famous words, Behold the man. Because he knew that Jesus was innocent. He knew that Jesus was innocent. And so what did he do? He knew Jesus was innocent, so he beat Jesus to an inch of his life. Pilate was a coward. He didn't want to kill him because he was innocent. And so he would make him into a literal bloody fool to show the people, look, he's no threat. He's just another idiot. And yet when he brought him out to the people, people still cried out, crucify him, crucify him. But in Pilate's own eyes, he had no choice. His reputation was already bad with the people. He was supposed to be governing these people. And Tiberius Caesar already had his eye on Pilate. There were multiple insurrections. And even Barabbas, whom he let go instead of Jesus, was a zealot and insurrectionist. In John, when Pilate would try to release Jesus, the Jews would cry out, if you release this man, you're no friend of Caesar. That's not just any random happenstance that they're saying this. Because anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. They back Caesar into a corner, even though Caesar knew he was innocent. And so in verse 16 of John 19, and in verse 31 of this passage, Pilate would let Jesus go and be led to be crucified. What a coward. What an evil, pathetic coward. And so Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. Jesus would be let out, and whoever was being crucified would traditionally bear the cross beam on their back, and they would walk to the place they would be crucified. Obviously, Jesus is now in no physical condition to do this. So what they do is they grab a man from Cyrene named Simon. And in Mark, and I, I love this, they tell you that he was the father of Alexander and Rufus. See, ancient Cyrene, which is close to now modern-day Benghazi, had a significant population of Jews. And you could have verified this story with Simon's sons, Alexander and Rufus. And so Simon is made to carry the crossbeam to Golgotha, where Jesus will be crucified. It was called a place of skull because if you looked at it, it looked like a skull. I went to a place in, near Jerusalem that looked like Golgotha. And right now, if you look at it, there's just like a bus station on the bottom. It was just an everyday place. But that's where they took Jesus, to a place people wouldn't have thought twice about. And so as we continue on, we see that the soldiers offered Jesus wine mixed with gall. Mark says wine mixed with myrrh. And commentators have thought that myrrh mixed with wine was a painkiller, so people were actually offering him compassion. And Jesus, having tasted it, saying, oh, I want to feel the full torture, didn't drink it. This is not the case. It doesn't, there's, there's no evidence that this is the case. But what gall would be is it would make the wine so bitter 
that you couldn't drink it at all. That's what gall is. And so it's not about numbing the pain. The gall would have been too bitter to drink, and this wouldn't have been a gesture of compassion, but this is still mocking Jesus. Jesus would have been incredibly dehydrated, but the gall would have made the wine undrinkable and thus fulfilling Psalm 69, 21. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Jesus is then crucified, and they took his garments and split it amongst themselves, fulfilling Psalm twenty-two eighteen. And then the soldiers just sat there. This is where they could watch the torture of someone being crucified. Normally, whoever was crucified would wear around their neck as they carried the cross their sins or their crime. They had around Jesus this. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. And so they, they put that on top of the cross. And they crucified him next to two robbers or rebels. And they were probably Barabbas's cohorts in the insurrection. That's why Barabbas was supposed to be there. And then you could see people pass by. And when they passed by, they would also hurl their insults at Jesus. You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. The chief priests and the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, and this is in the third person, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And finally, we read in the last part of this passage, even the rebels who were crucified with him, also reviled him in the same way. Jesus received all the mockery from everyone, from every side. In Psalm 22, it would say, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. This is Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by being or by, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And we see here the exact 
details of how much he humbled himself. He humbled himself this much, even death on a cross. He would even say to Pilate, do you not think that I can just command legions of angels and come and save me? And he didn't do that. He endured all this mockery. So what is the verdict after all of this? This is no surprise to Jesus. In fact, in John chapter 3, he even says this. And this is the judgment. And remember I asked before we read the scripture today that what would happen if the most beautiful person had come into this world? And we know the answer to that. In John chapter 3, Jesus says himself, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. All of this that we have seen right now is a part of the plan that God has carried out through his son, Jesus Christ, to expose our wickedness and our sins. It's to expose our wicked selves. And this week, you know, there, there, there is no, like, happy ending to the story. We continue on. That's traditionally what the church has done. They continued on this Passion Week meditating on these things that the Lord did on his suffering, the mockery that he endured, that, the insane mockery that he endured. But not only were these things done to expose the wicked things, but it would show us how much Humbly, he would take on the punishment that we deserve. This week is a time that the church historically has taken as a season of sobering self-examination, yes. But more importantly, it's to explore the incredible depths that our Savior went to, to receive and bear the punishment that we rightly deserved. And this is what I would like us to do. Let's have this sobering self-examination. You know, when people tell you, ah, we don't want to focus too much on the sin, we don't want to focus too much on the bad, we just want to focus on the grace. It's about the grace. It's about what Jesus has given, the mercy that we have received. And yet, if you read scripture after scripture, that is not what they say. They say you should examine yourself. And in fact, every time, and I can't wait till we gather again, when we have the table open in front of us, and every time we've opened the table, we've read from the scripture, and this is what the scriptures exhort us, let a man examine himself then before he takes of the cup and the bread. Work out your faith 
in fear and trembling. Jesus even admonishes his disciples to be perfect like the heavenly father is perfect. You really think you can make it into heaven by just you doing things? You just sitting on your butt? Then be perfect like God is perfect. Otherwise, where are we? When the light shines on us, our deeds are exposed. But when you continue to look and examine Jesus Christ, we see that the Savior would go to so much lengths, heights, and depths to receive and bear the punishment that we rightly deserved. And this is why this week is called Holy Week. This is why this week is called Passion Week. I encourage you, to spend time at home with your families reflecting on this. And this is why what we'll do is we'll gather again on Good Friday at 8 p.m. and we'll continue in Matthew to examine what Jesus does on the cross, what he says on the cross. And I hope you will join me then. Let's pray. Lord, we are without words when we see what you did for us, how much you suffered, and how incredibly unjust that was. But when we hear and when we see that this was a plan that you had to save us, We are moved that you would love your enemy to this extent. And we don't want to take it for granted. We don't want to just think that this was an easy cost that was paid. But Lord God, as your scriptures continue to teach us and guide us, we want to meditate on it. We want to dig deep on it. And we want to be people that would really get to see and hear and love the good news. Oh God, help your church now, especially because we cannot gather in person. We ask that you would be the one that would hold our spirits. Don't let us go until we can meet again. But until then, Holy Spirit, help us so that our faith would increase, that we would see what Jesus Christ did for us is so incredible, is so amazing, that you do deserve all the glory, all the praise, all the honor, and all of our worship. Oh God, be worshipped in our homes, be worshipped in this place, and be lifted up. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forever. Amen.